What's going on? Thanks so much for tuning in again this week. Hope you had a really, really good weekend, a productive weekend, a relaxing weekend, and uh, happy Monday to you. Uh, we're going to start this one off a little bit differently. Obviously, you can tell it's uh, starting off a little differently than how we usually start it off, and that's because over the weekend I was doing some thinking, and I want to share my thoughts with, with all of you. So I started up this podcast in January for a few reasons, and I don't have to get into those reasons now. Uh, I shared some of those with you last week on Start With Why, and if you want to learn more about it, just go to cutthecrappodcast.com and hit the section My Why, and you'll see why I created the podcast. So over the weekend, I was just sort of thinking about the podcast and how far it's come over the past three months. I mean, the podcast is growing exponentially week after week. Every single week is my biggest week. And it's really exciting to constantly see the numbers increasing and the amount of people listening from throughout Canada, United States, Australia, Europe, South Africa. You know, you see a whole bunch of these downloads and it just surprises me at how fast the marketplace has picked this up, how fast all of you have picked this up. You know, you don't really know how well something's going to do. You have an idea in mind and you hope that it does well, but until you actually release it out there to the marketplace, you don't know how well it's going to do. Well, Cut the Crap Podcast is doing very well, very well. It's consistently in the top 20 business podcasts. And while, um, you know, the iTunes rankings, they fluctuate so much. There's so much volatility in there. It's constantly in the top 20 best podcasts um, when it comes to business podcasts, of course. And, um, of course, it's my goal to get in the top 20 overall podcasts. I've only been doing this three months. Maybe by, you know, year three, four, five, six, I'll get there. But it takes some time. It takes some time to build up an audience. But it all starts with all of you. And the reason I'm starting this podcast off differently is to thank each and every single one of you for subscribing to the podcast, for sharing the podcast, for talking about it, for telling your friends, your family, your coworkers about it, because this podcast continues to grow every single week because of people like you. I am absolutely humbled and grateful for every single one of you for subscribing to this podcast. And there's a lot of individuals out there who stand out. I see your names coming up all the time, constantly promoting it. Barrett Coates, Bill Reber, Nick Kingersky, Aaron Nelson, Jonathan LaRocque, thank you so much. You just sent me a message and you were uh, the reason why I decided to record this before I even started recording the podcast. Uh, I'm not even done building the mind map yet, so I just decided to get on the mic and um, do this little thank you message. Steve Garganis, my biggest fan from Trier, Germany, Selina Leuven. There's a lot of people out there who I should be thanking, but I just don't know your names. So feel free to reach out to me by email. It's ryan.caligiuri at me.com. Reach out to me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever it is. Reach out to me and let me know what you think about the podcast. So we'll get into the podcast right away, but I just wanted to take a minute to personally thank you for tuning in every single week. It means a lot to me and you can absolutely believe that I'm going to continue to grow this podcast and make it even more interesting, more engaging, more informative, more educational for each and every single one of you. The future looks really, really bright for Cut the Crap Podcast, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes next. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for continuing to subscribe to the podcast. You guys are awesome. I love you guys. Let's crack into the podcast. Let's do this thing. Filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book. 
without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Caligiuri. What's going on? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where I make sure you never have to read a book again. Before I get going, I want to remind you, as I always do, go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for your weekly mind map. All I need is your first name, last name, and email address so I know who to send the mind map to. Every single week, whatever book I cover, you'll also get a mind map that condenses everything down to one page. All the golden nuggets, all the content around that, all on one page. Very useful tool, and I strongly encourage you to go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for that. All right, this week, what are we doing? Obviously, you read the title, Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell. I'm going to go on a Malcolm Gladwell run over the next few weeks here. Uh, I picked up all of his books. I have not read any of his books before, so this is the first time that I'm reading it. I've always wanted to read his books I've read some of his articles. I've got to be honest with you, a little dry to me, his articles, his writing. Obviously a brilliant man. He knows what he's talking about. Provides some very compelling arguments and compelling thoughts. And Outliers is no different. So what is Outliers about? Well, if I read the jacket, there is a story that is usually told about extremely successful people. A story that focuses on intelligence and ambition. Malcolm Gladwell argues that the true story of success is very different, and that if we want to understand how some people thrive, we should spend more time looking around them at such things as their family, their birthplace, and even their date of birth. Interesting. I'll go into a little bit on that later on. So the book goes ahead and reveals all of that hidden logic, and Gladwell presents a fascinating and provocative blueprint for making the most of human potential. Very cool book. I actually remembered I was working in a consulting company many years ago, and one of the IT guys came to me and, and brought this book. I didn't have time to read it, and I started going through the pages, and it didn't really interest me. But now I feel like I'm missing out on all the knowledge that Malcolm Gladwell has provided, and I do believe that he has something to add. So I want to go ahead and read them and share all those golden nuggets with you. So that's what we're here to do today. So why don't we get right into it? Golden nugget number one. Now, we obviously have to start off with this one. What is an outlier? An outlier is a scientific term to describe things or phenomena that lie outside of the normal experience. So for example, if you live in California, it's beautiful and hot all the time in August. But what if one of those days in August, the temperature fell below freezing? It'd be kind of weird, right? That day would be considered an outlier. We know why the temperature is hot in the summertime in California. It's always hot in August. But we know very little about why a summer day would fall below freezing in August. This book, Outliers, is a book about men and women who, for one reason or another, are so accomplished, so extraordinary, and so outside of the ordinary experience that they are as puzzling to the rest of us as a cold day in August in California. So now that we know what an outlier is, let's move on. Golden nugget number two, the month you're born can play a significant role in how successful you truly become. So for this golden nugget and all the rest, they essentially take away different pieces from the book that tell us why people become successful. 
Now, Malcolm Gladwell's not a big fan of the idea of a self-made man or woman. And he believes that there's no such thing as being self-made. And that we're all a product of our environments, circumstances, different factors that contribute to us becoming successful. So all these golden nuggets are essentially revealing some of those elements, some of those factors that contribute to success. So Malcolm talks about a series of findings all throughout the first chapter. Interestingly, he argues that our perception of success is profoundly wrong. It's wrong. One way he kicks off this belief is when he explains a unique statistic that describes the selection procedure of the Canadian Hockey League. Now, obviously, being a Canadian himself, he's a big fan of hockey. So he went through and found some interesting statistics about this. While everyone, for the most part, thinks that success depends upon factors like talent, intelligence, hard work, and lifestyle, Gladwell states that an individual's success depends heavily on external factors. So the case with the hockey players, the timing of their birth played a crucial role to their success. Interesting. So he brings forward some statistics to prove his point here. Gladwell finds that 40% of the players in the hockey league were born between the months of January and March, 30% between April and June, 20% between July and September, and the remaining 10% were born between October and December. So those stellar players were born earlier on in the year and there were less players as they were born later on. So what does this mean? It simply means that a child born in January has significant advantage over the other kids because he or she is going to be more physically and mentally mature than the other kids. So these lucky kids, they'll be selected to the best teams, receiving even better coaching and trained with even better teammates, thereby compounding the built-in advantage they have over kids born later that year. Pretty interesting point. Gladwell goes on to say that the system through which we're brought up is unequal, which creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Coaches that praise the best nine-year-old players because they're stronger, faster, overall better players, it's just not true. They're neither of those things. They're just older. And when you go from eight to nine years old, that's a big jump. There's a lot of growth that happens physically, mentally. There's a lot of growth that happens between the ages of eight and nine. So the older players, while they're getting more training, more attention, they're not necessarily better. They're just older. So they might be stronger, bigger, faster for the most part. And because of that, they're seen as better. Well, they were just born earlier. They were born in January as opposed to being born in December. So there's your first example. It's very interesting. You know, I, all these golden nuggets throughout the book, as I was reading it, I found myself having an argument in my head, you know, both supporting Malcolm Gladwell's arguments and believing in my own thoughts in terms of what makes people successful, because I like to think that anybody has the potential, the potential to be successful. I don't care if you're a small player, a young player, an old player. I mean, look at a guy like Yarmir Yager, Yarmir Yager's what is he pushing 45? Maybe, I don't know, maybe about 45. He's old and he's playing hockey still like a young man. He's crazy. Or you get small guys like Saku Koivu and the Montreal Canadiens. You know, one of my, one of my all-time heroes growing up when I first was uh, watching hockey with my dad, Saku was a small, small player. And yet he was the captain of the Montreal Canadiens and a stellar player, stellar player. You look at small guys like Martin St. Louis, small guy. He should not be making it in a league like this. And yet he continues to succeed and, and be a dominant player in the league. And so I kind of like to see and say, it doesn't matter if you're small. 
It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're young. You all have a chance. But maybe all those people are the outliers. Maybe those are the people that stand out from the status quo. And maybe my arguments have always been in support of the outliers. Well, you know what? If this person could make it, anybody can make it. Well, maybe that's not necessarily true. And this book goes ahead and provides some statistics, some proof to say, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't happen that way. And I found this book to be a little complex as well, too, as most Malcolm Gladwell's writings are. And so throughout this podcast, what I'm trying to do is try to simplify some of these concepts throughout the book. And this first one, the month you're born in can play a role in how successful you are. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I mean, this is one specific example in terms of how the month you're born in gives you an advantage early on in life. Pretty crazy when you think about it. Golden nugget number three. It takes 10,000 hours to master anything. Now, this is one of Gladwell's most famous concepts that he's ever come up with, uh, especially with regards to outliers. Now, if a person's success isn't based solely on his or her ability or talent, what really makes them a success? Well, according to Gladwell, it depends on the 10,000-hour rule, which states that it takes approximately 10,000 hours of practice for an individual to achieve mastery in any field. Now, to explain this concept further, Gladwell takes the example of Bill Joy, Bill Gates, and the Beatles. Now, Bill Joy, the co-founder of Sun Microsystems, found that he was presented with a string of opportunities to help him succeed. Interestingly, he was able to attend one of the only universities that offered a time-sharing system for its computers. And also, interestingly enough, since the computers had a bug in it, which he was able to figure out and work his way through because he's a smart guy like that, he was able to access the computers for an unlimited amount of time while his peers were only locked in for an hour or so. So again, he had more hours of practice available to him. So in an interview that uh, Bill Joy had with Malcolm Gladwell, Joy stated that it took him approximately 10,000 hours of practice of writing programs and coding that are used by millions of people even today. Interesting. Similarly, Bill Gates experienced numerous coincidences as he happened to attend the only private school that allowed also, again, a time-sharing system with their computers. Gates, like Joy, used the opportunity to his advantage, and the fact that he lived close to the University of Washington that offered free computer hours, it kind of helped him too. So again, we have examples from Gates, from Joy, both of them putting in a tremendous amount of time into their craft. Now, let's look at the Beatles. So it's interesting to note that the Beatles had the opportunity to practice and also master their skills when they were a struggling high school band. Incredibly, they played about 1,200 times in nightclubs between 1960 and 1965, thus catapulting them towards success. How crazy is that? But I ask the question, so what? Who cares? Well, it's important here to take away that talent is certainly, yes, it's a piece needed to become a success at something. But hard work is just as important as talent, if not more so, as evidenced by the Beatles, Gates, and Joy. All of them are talented, yes, but they also spent a great deal of time perfecting their craft. And I think it's safe to say that if they didn't put in the time to perfect their craft, Bill Joy, Bill Gates, the Beatles, and the list would go on and on if you brought up examples. If you didn't put in the time, would you be as successful as you are? 
Probably not. I mean, if you look at anybody who was a success, it likely took them, according to Malcolm Gladwell, it took them at least 10,000 hours to become the greats that they are. So if we look at greats like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, I mean, I'm, I'm focusing more or less on sports here. But again, if we look at them, chances are they all put about 10,000 hours or more into the practice of their craft. So again, this frames our mind in terms of what it takes to become a success. 10,000 hours. So it's really interesting, actually. Just a quick personal story here. I just got back from Cuba, and I always go on a trip with uh, my good friends. I've known them since we were in kindergarten. We were five years old, and you know we still continue to have great friendships today. And the one thing that I, we always mention, you know, either we'll go to Mexico or, you know, we'll go to Europe or, you know, this time we went to Cuba and everybody speaks Spanish. And we always say, man, it'd be great to learn Spanish. And I always hear the same thing, not only from my friends, but from other people as well, too. They say, oh, you know what? I mean, it's really tough for adults to learn a new language. It's really tough. I mean, our brains, they're just not wired the same way as kids. Kids, I mean, they pick up language so easily. I mean, you've heard that before, too, I'm sure. It's just easier for kids to pick up new languages. I don't agree with that at all. I think we think it's easier for them to pick up languages because they're constantly immersing themselves in learning the new language. As adults, we're distracted by our job, our family, bills, taking some downtime, listening to a podcast. There's so many different things to distract us, and yet learning a new language isn't something that we put on the priority chart every single day. So I did a little bit of math here and figured that if I spent two hours every single day, seven days a week, every single month, every single year, how long would it take me to get to 10,000 hours of practice? I would hopefully become competent in speaking Spanish. It would take me about five years. Now I sit there and I say, you know, five years, is, that's not even that bad. I mean, I didn't speak great English until when did I start learning how to speak English? I mean, maybe when I was two, three years old. I didn't learn how to speak or read properly and say, you know, great sentences until probably about, I don't know, six, seven. I don't know, maybe six, seven, probably. So why is it that us adults think that we can't learn new language? It's because we need to understand that to become successful at anything, it takes time. It takes effort. So you need to hit your 10,000 hours to become a master of something. The problem is we go ahead and we look at a, a program like Rosetta Stone and we pick it up. And we figure, hey, you know what? I'm going to learn Spanish in uh, a couple months. I'm going to sign up for a course at the university. Boom, done, a year. I'll figure it out. Well, a year, how many uh, hours did you get in? Maybe 1,000, 2,000 if you're really good? Mm-mm. It's going to take you a lot more than that, 10,000 hours. So again, this point here helps to frame your mind a little bit in terms of what it takes to become a success. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. This one's a really cool golden nugget that I just love. So if you're preparing to become a success at anything, get ready for the long haul. And again, this goes back to the podcast that I did, episode number two on the dip. If the end game is worth it, then you'll go through the dip. You'll go through the hours it takes to become great at something just to get to where you want to get. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to require dedication. It's going to require persistence. But if it's worth it, you'll do it. Golden nugget number four, the year you're born can dramatically impact your level of success. Billionaires like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Bill Joy, they were all born with gifts of reasoning, practical intelligence, ambition, and opportunities to practice their skills. 
The opportunities to practice their skills is where this gets really interesting. All of these men, they all had opportunities to not only the right resources, but the right timing to allow them to reach at least 10,000 hours of practice. And in this case, their 10,000 hours of practice came in the form of computer programming. The year they were born put them in the absolute best position to capitalize on a trend where the software industry was going through a dramatic change. They were born late enough to have access to new computers and to be really interested in this. They were young enough to try to be figuring out new things, to be delving deep into new types of technologies, new trends. It made it easier for them to code and build their life that way. They weren't born too late where they were already old enough to have life figured out. You know, they already went through school, you know, they went through law, they became lawyers, whatever it was. They were at a very particular time in their life where they could capitalize on this trend. So looking at birth dates of highly successful tech entrepreneurs, Gladwell notes a pattern where these guys were born at just the right time to take advantage of the personal computing revolution. And their success to a huge degree came from being born at a time when new technology was emerging. Their success, the success of Bill Gates, Bill Joy, and Steve Jobs was not just of their own making. It was a product of the world in which they grew up. Now, that's important to note. Their success was not just of their own making. It was a product of the world in which they grew up. So I can buy into this golden nugget because timing is absolutely an important factor in your level of success. Depending on where you're born, trends in the marketplace, and the skills you happen to develop is all based on timing and an element of luck, of course. So in my world that I grew up in marketing, I think of an individual, Gary Vaynerchuk, now, I know you might know Gary Vaynerchuk, very well-known social media guy, and he's had a lot of different books out, and he's always on YouTube or LinkedIn if you follow him. He runs a company called VaynerMedia out of New York City. Gary Vaynerchuk is an interesting cat, and um, you know I liken the story of Bill Gates, Bill Joy, and um, Steve Jobs to Gary as well, too, a more modern story. So Gary grew up learning his skills in marketing from running his parents' wine store, where he was responsible for all their marketing. So he was always digging deep into new tactics and trying to figure out what worked. So when social media came along, he was well positioned. He was already in that role, always trying to figure things out and you know be the first to figure out how this works and how this can help the wine company. So he was big into YouTube when YouTube came out. He was creating a lot of YouTube videos, doing different wine tastings and posting those videos. Then Twitter came out. He started to get a lot of people following him on Twitter who would share his, um, his wine videos. And I think Gary really became who Gary is today because of timing, because he was born at just the right time. He had just enough experience under his belt to capitalize on these tools. He was old enough to be in the right position where a guy like me was a little too young. At that point in time, I was still trying to figure out what marketing truly was eight, nine, 10 years ago. Gary was in a completely different position. So Gary was well positioned to take these things and run with them. And so he was one of the first people to market and publishers started to come into him and say, Hey, you know what? You got to write a book on how to use Twitter, how to use social media, how to use Facebook, YouTube, blah, 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 all these other things. And so Gary became wildly successful as a result of that. And because of that, he obviously grew his uh, marketing agency, VaynerMedia. He capitalized on all of these things. And VaynerMedia today is a hundred million dollar plus business wildly successful. Gary Vaynerchuk is an outlier. Just like Bill Gates, Bill Joy, and Steve Jobs. Gary Vaynerchuk is an outlier. 
and it's another example of how somebody was born in the right year, had the right amount of experience, the probably about 10,000 plus hours. If I asked Gary, he would probably say that he had about maybe 10,000 plus hours of marketing experience, maybe even more knowing how intense Gary is. He probably had more hours of experience under his belt. So I can really buy into this one. The year you're born can dramatically impact your level of success. Golden nugget number five. Now this one's a little bit of a tough one for me and I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit. How you're raised can have a significant impact on how successful you become. So while yes, your natural abilities, they're incredibly important to success. Another factor in how successful you become is something called practical intelligence. Practical intelligence is the type of intelligence that allows you to understand how to interpret and manage social situations to get what you want by knowing what, how, and when to ask for something. Now, this essentially can be summed up by saying someone's ability to negotiate will determine how successful they become. The more comfortable someone is with negotiating with people in positions of power, the greater their chance of achieving their goals, of getting what they want. Sociologist Annette Leroux found that wealthier parents taught their children instinctively behaviors of entitlement where lower class parents did not. Wealthier parents taught their children to demand respect and work within a situation to suit their needs. They taught their children practical intelligence. And by teaching them practical intelligence, it gives them a leg up on others who were not taught those skills. Now contrast that to parents that were not as wealthy. They feel more intimidated by people in positions of power and naturally instill those same feelings, those same beliefs in their children. Now because these parents choose to allow their children to grow up more naturally without being pushed as hard as wealthier families, they weren't brought up with the same practical intelligence which dramatically decreased their chances of becoming successful. So the point that Malcolm's trying to get at here is that wealthier families push their children. And because of that, they push them to become more confident, more demanding, to get what they want. You can get what you want in life if you fight for it. If you make the situation suit your needs. They taught them skills that allowed them to become more successful. Yeah, so you know what? Like I said at the very beginning, this is a difficult one for me because... I truly feel, I mean, this is, this whole book, as I've read it, this was a kind of a growth experience for me as well, too, as I kind of learned a little bit throughout it. But I've always believed that anybody can become successful. I don't care if you're poor, middle class, or rich. It doesn't matter to me. There's people who are, uh, who come from wealthy families, who have everything they need. They have all the resources. They have everything they need to become successful, and yet they don't become successful. They grew up in rich families, and yet, you know, they got into drugs or alcohol and, you know, they screwed up along the way and their life is, is, is in complete disarray. On the other hand, you have people who grew up in really poor families who didn't have any of the resources, any of the access to uh, funding or whatever it was to help them become successful and they become wildly successful. I mean, we could look at a host of athletes or, you know, well-known people like Oprah Winfrey, even a lot of the CEOs I know that I've worked with. They didn't come from affluent parents or, uh, you know, wealthy families. They built their success. But then again, you know, as I kind of sit here and I think about it, you know, maybe these folks, maybe these are the outliers. 
You know, I kind of want to fight this point because I've always believed, again, that anyone can become successful. But as I sit here debating it with you, I guess I can kind of see the point that Malcolm's trying to make here in that, yes, you know, not to say that it's always 100% right, but the majority of people, if they grow up into wealthy families, they're going to teach their kids the principles that made them successful, the principles that made them wealthy. And if you grow up in a poor family... You know, your family doesn't necessarily have the skills to necessarily negotiate what you want. You know, they might not have the confidence to, you know, go head to head with a CEO, you know, to demand the success that you believe you deserve. It's these differing mentalities that you have growing up with a certain family. And I'd like to say that it is possible to break apart from it. So if you're listening to this and you come from a poor family, that does not say that you will never become successful. That doesn't say you'll never be able to accumulate wealth. I don't think that's what Malcolm's saying here. I think that there's an opportunity for anybody to become anything you want, no matter how fluffy that sounds. But I think for the most part, that's not the case. And if you do break out, then maybe you are the outlier. Interesting nonetheless. This is the first time I've actually had a debate with myself on the podcast and while you're sitting there listening to me. But it's, um, this book is, is very thought-provoking. And every single one of these golden nuggets, it, it, I sit down and I think a little bit about it. And I argue with Malcolm on a lot of these things in my own head because I come to the table with certain beliefs that um, you know, I believe to be true. But Malcolm challenges them. I think that's what makes Malcolm Gladwell such a great writer. He challenges us to think about different perspectives, different approaches to how we look at the world. And I think Outliers is definitely this book, and especially this golden nugget, how you're raised can have a significant impact on how successful you become. Very interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, what do you think? Do you agree with me? Do you agree with Malcolm? What are your thoughts? Do you believe this golden nugget has some merit? Do you disagree? Let me know. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter. Send me an email. It's very easy to get in touch with me. Uh, Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Golden nugget number six. Where you are born impacts how successful you become. Yes, geography and culture, they play a significant role in how successful you become. For example, people that come from cultures where there is a tendency to anger quickly, they'll retain those traits and it'll make it harder for them to become successful. Gladwell uses the example of people that come from the southern United States. He says that because of where they're born, they develop these traits of angering quickly, which impact their abilities to negotiate successfully, for example. Another example Gladwell uses is the stereotype that Asians are all good at math. Interestingly enough, there are a lot of cultural facets that do actually promote better math in Asian students. One such example is when children learn the words for numbers in Asian languages, they automatically learn to add up numbers as well. So this helps kids develop mathematical skills very early on. So it's interesting to see here how certain cultures develop certain traits. Now, research has shown that students in Western countries, they give up on math problems far sooner than students in Eastern countries do. Why is that? Gladwell believes this comes from an ancestral trait that was created in the rice fields. Rice, a staple of the Asian diet, also helps students learn math better and the importance of hard work. Now, farming rice is much harder than farming Western crops, and profiting from a successful rice harvest demands a great deal of precision, attention to detail, patience, and coordination. 
All of these traits Gladwell believes have been ingrained in Asian cultures, which persist strongly today. So where you're born impacts how successful you become. This one is a little easier for me to agree with. Well, it's, it, you know, I love Malcolm Gladwell for this because every single time I, I have a golden nugget in mind, I debate with it in my head. I say, you know, is he full of crap or is there some truth to this? And I do believe it's, you know, there, there is a lot of truth to this. And I'll use the example of, you know, people that grow up in, um, uh, in certain countries or, or sorry, certain cities. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the, the best access to resources or it's not a hub. Well, for example, if somebody's wanting to become a financial trader, they truly believe that to become a great financial trader, I have to go to New York City. There's a lot of serial entrepreneurs that I know that say, listen, you know, if I want to do really well, I got to get to a city that thinks and acts like I do. And so they go down to Silicon Valley where there's a lot of people who think and act the same way that they do. They ingrain themselves in a different culture to help them become more successful. I'm sure you've heard the exact same thing from friends of your own. You know, if I want to do really well at this, I have to go to this certain city. There's an element of truth to that, apparently. Malcolm Gladwell states that geography and culture, they play a significant role in how successful you become. So this is, again, a fascinating golden nugget. And I think this one's an easier one for people to agree with because we can see elements of this in our own careers. Now, that's not to say you can't become wildly successful, um, you know, in the city that you're in. I mean, if you are in Chicago or if you're in Dallas or if you're in Florida or if you're in Calgary or Toronto or Ottawa, it doesn't matter. It's not to say you can't become successful where you are. But perhaps, perhaps you have a greater chance of becoming successful if you go to a different type of geography where maybe there's more focus there. Maybe there's more people there that will help drive you, push you in that right direction. Maybe they'll just immerse you in this culture. I know for a fact that a lot of my friends, like I said, they went to New York because they were, um, you know, they wanted to become the best in the world at finance, or they wanted to become the best traders, or you know, they were serial entrepreneurs and they wanted to come up with more innovations, new innovations. They wanted to have more access to resources. They wanted more people to challenge them, so they moved to Silicon Valley. Absolutely true, one hundred percent. So while there's a lot of different points that I like to argue with Malcolm Gladwell on, uh, I think this one's a little bit easier to agree with him on. All right, and there we have it. Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell. This is a really good book. And this is my first Malcolm Gladwell book that I read. It was a fascinating read. It challenged a lot of the beliefs that I had when it came to success. I had many beliefs in my mind that I painted a picture of as what success was or how success could be achieved. And he challenged a lot of those beliefs. So I really found this book to be useful in that there's a lot more to success than what I originally thought. I thought that success was really driven by the individual, but there's a lot of external circumstances that also impacts how successful someone can become. So it helped me paint a more comprehensive picture of what success is and what it takes to become successful and how hard or how easy it can be to become successful. A fascinating read. Absolutely fascinating. So outliers in a nutshell. An outlier is one who has the ability to snatch golden opportunities and carve out a beautiful future for themselves. 
those who achieve high levels of success are often the result of unlikely occurrences, lucky breaks, and opportunities that create the perfect environment for someone to become successful. As a conclusion, it's safe to say that success is a combination of hard work, opportunities, and talent. Thank you so much for listening this week and tuning in to another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where I make sure you never have to read a book again. Next week, I'm going to bring you a brand new book with some brand new golden nuggets. I'm going to continue on this Malcolm Gladwell tear that I'm on right now. Uh, I picked up all of his books, so I'm going to go through them one by one and dissect them for you on the podcast. I'm not too sure which book I'm going to go into next week. Um... I'm not too sure. He's got a lot of good books. I'm going to read them all anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But in any case, I'll be back here next week with a brand new book and some brand new golden nuggets. Until then, have an awesome week. Take it easy.